You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. If you have your Bibles, open up to Hebrews chapter 4. That's where we'll be this morning, Hebrews chapter 4. In this prayer guide, I lay out towards the beginning of it a theme verse that's been on our heart as a church family, and I really feel like it's a theme uh, descriptor of, of who the Lord's called us to be. Because in Isaiah 56, he lays out what it means to be a house of prayer. I believe it's one of the um, like most core purposes of the people of God on the earth is to be a people of prayer, a house of prayer as described in Isaiah 56. And so he lays out these characteristics of a house of prayer. One is these are people that join themselves with the Lord. Essentially people that embrace their identity as adopted sons and daughters. They join with the Lord. Secondly, they minister to him. That's why we are so set on worshiping and being a people that worship the Lord. Hence that whole conference that we'll be hosting in March is because we feel like we have a mandate to be worshipers. Regardless of your musical ability or your uh, musical preferences in all of our hearts, stoking worship and adoration of the Lord. So we're gonna be ministers to the Lord. Thirdly, there are people that love his name, love who he has revealed himself to be in all the facets in, in the fullest sense of what he's revealed to us in scripture, we love his name. And fourth, there are people that keep the Sabbath or live in gospel rest. Not so much keeping a day of the week, although I think that can be very helpful rhythm and uh, cycle that God has gifted the church with, God gifted his people with. Keeping a day as holy, set apart to recalibrate our hearts and worship to the Lord. But more than anything, people who live day in and day out in gospel rest, immersing themselves consistently with the Lord's sufficiency over, the, over their lives. And that's actually what I want to talk about this morning in Hebrews chapter 4, Jesus as our Sabbath rest. I want us to see him this morning as our Sabbath rest. Most people, I believe, see Jesus as, as teacher or as miraculous you know, compassionate miracle worker, or they see him as a historical figure, and he is all of those things. But this morning, I want us to see him as our Sabbath rest. I want, him, I want you to see him as the rest for your soul. He is not a religious taskmaster, nor does the Lord rule and reign from a distance. But rather, the Lord came and he lived amongst us and he served us, showing us how to live, showing us this new way to be human, this new way of life. And then he purchased our victory into this promised land of rest. And that's the, the kind of the biblical repeated descriptor of where the Lord's leading us, is this promised land of rest. So what do I mean by rest? We'll get into Hebrews chapter four. But before we get into that, I just want to describe what the writer of Hebrews is, is alluding to because this can be kind of a difficult passage. We're, we're getting into a portion in Hebrews that can be kind of difficult to understand. So what, what, is the, what does scriptures mean by rest? Rest is this language used throughout the Bible from beginning to end, literally from Genesis to Revelation. 
describing of God being with us and us being with God, us being at peace with God, living in the shalom of God presently, right here, right now, living in this present reality at peace with the Lord. That is the rest of God. And from Genesis to Revelation, we see that theme, that thread played throughout. So Sabbath rest is more than just a day that becomes a confirmation of the Lord's purpose of where he's taking us. But we see it right, right smack dab at the beginning, at the end of Genesis chapter one, the seventh day of creation, the Lord had created the universe and everything that we see, everything that we perceive. And the seventh day he declared it as holy and he rested. Not because he was in need of anything. The Lord did not need to replenish his energy. So please don't, under, don't misunderstand that piece. The Lord was pointing us towards his purpose to simply be with his creation. Be with the ones that he created in his image. To be with them. To dwell with them. To delight in his, in his presence. He with us and us with him. We see that then, that theme then, repeated throughout scripture as we move forward through the, the biblical story. We see it in, in Noah. Noah's name actually means rest. And so we see this man, who's, who's man, his man, the mandate on his life is to come and rest in this ark, like find his shelter, his refuge in this ark, in the midst of the flood and the deluge and the storm, to find his rest in this ark, to hide himself there. Even when every, everyone's calling him a fool, even when, it, when the natural intellect would tell him to do otherwise, to hide himself in the ark of the Lord. And the Lord would be his protector. The Lord would be his refuge. And then the, really the pinnacle of his life is the ark resting there on Mount Ararat. This man whose name in life is marked by rest. We see it then in Moses' ministry. The Lord gives him this instruction to set aside a day as holy as unto the Lord to be a, a gift for the children of Israel. A, a, a real gift to recalibrate them in the Lord as their sufficiency. Every week, set aside this rhythm, this cycle of recalibrating your hearts in devotion and love and uh, dependence on the Lord on a, on a weekly basis. The, the Sabbath day is holy unto the Lord. As we move through the biblical story, then we see Joshua and his ministry. Joshua is this leader who had the privilege and the honor and the mandate to lead God's people into this promised land of rest. The promised land, the land of Canaan, was this, this, um, this place, this picture, this image of where the Lord is leading us into this place of the Lord's provision, this place flowing with milk and honey where the Lord would be enough. The Lord would fight our battles. The Lord would go before us. The Lord would be our victor. We wouldn't fight like other nations. The Lord would be our king in this place. As we then move through, continue to move through the, the biblical story, we see in the life of Jesus, Jesus himself calling himself the Lord of the Sabbath. And the Lord saying, come to me, you who are weary, you are heavy laden. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you rest. Come learn from me. This new way of life, living life in this promised land of rest. And we see it in the book of Revelation, as the last bowl is poured out in Revelation chapter 16, it says, it is done, it's finished. The Lord ushers his people into the ultimate sense of this new heaven, this new earth, and living with the Lord, us being with him in this promised land of rest. 
So rest can be thought of being presently at peace with God. So this is gonna be a hard-hitting passage. I, I gave all that preface because this is a passage that penetrates to our hearts this morning. It's gonna tear off all the facades of religion, all the masks that we put up to impress other people, and it's gonna cut right to our hearts. This is the gift of God that's available to us. It's the invitation It's available for us. If you're toiling over the future, if you're worried about what is to come, you're straining and striving to become something in some distant future, maybe living in the perpetual future, I'll tell you this morning that you're not living at rest. There is available for you this morning an invitation to be at peace with God presently, today. If you're condemned or you're haunted by the past, haunted by regrets, trying to prove yourself that you're not who you used to be, then I want to tell you you're not living at rest. But this morning, there is available for you rest in the Lord presently, to be at peace with God right now. So to be at rest is to believe on Jesus, to take him at his word that he truly is enough, to live in a relationship with him right now in the present. And so there's a spoiler alert as we dive into this passage. The, the opposing force to rest is unbelief. With, we, we, we rest to the level of our belief in Jesus. To the level that we hear his word and we take him at his word is the level that we will experience his rest. But we'll see this theme repeated throughout this passage in Hebrews chapter four that the direct enemy or opposing force to our rest with the Lord is unbelief and its counterpart, disobedience. Let's just pray before we read Hebrews 4 because we need God's grace to receive this this morning at a, at a heart level. Lord, would you, like you do and like, like is your greatest desire, would you penetrate deep into the recesses of our heart? Reveal the substance of your work on the cross to our hearts. I pray this morning that the good news would be preached to our hearts. That we wouldn't just hear it, but we would truly listen on a heart level and we would respond in faith. And I'm believing this morning that there will be an army of people, a family of God here in Ames that will erupt in childlike radical faith, taking you at your word, like living on the, the foundation of the heritage that we have in scripture of all these people who found their sufficiency in you. They weren't perfect, but at the end of their day, their faith was firmly established in you. May that be the case for us this morning. And I just... Speak life upon every heart, every heart that's maybe beat down by doubt or unbelief or cynicism, beat down by life. Breathe new life this morning, Spirit of God, in every heart, in every heart in your mighty name, amen. Let's read this. It says, Hebrews chapter four, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation this morning. Because I usually... Uh, 
share the word with our church family with the English Standard Version, but this morning, the English Standard Version of this passage is very difficult to understand, I'm just gonna be honest. Um, And so I'm just doing this to help us understand scripture, but I will reference other translations as well. So this is the New Living Translation. It's on the screen, um, but you can follow along in your own Bible as well. It says, God's promise of entering his rest still stands. So we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. So this promise of entering God's shalom, the peace of God, the being at peace with him still stands with us today. But at the same time, there's this sobering warning that accompanies the promise of God, which is the, the stark reality that some will fail to experience it. Even though it's available to all, some will fail to grab a hold of it in faith. This is the the stark, sobering truth that we'll see repeated through Hebrews chapter four. Almost every single verse, you'll see the promise and you'll see the warning. It says, for this good news that God has prepared this rest has been announced to us just as it was to them. But it did them no, no good because they didn't share the faith of those who listened to God. He's specifically talking about the children of Israel. That's what we had just talked about in Hebrews chapter three. It was the children of Israel, this example that's given to us now in this new covenant age. We have, we have the privilege, the, the gift and the responsibility of looking back into the, the Old Testament age and using these, these narratives, these stories of history and allowing them to be stories that teach us a lesson but also a warning for us. And we see within them these ones who were gifted the opportunity to go into the promised land of rest, but many did not enter. So here it is, the promise, this good news is proclaimed to us, it's available to us. But some of them didn't share the faith of those who listened to God. Not all entered this promised land of rest, even those available to all. Not all entered. Verse three is the summary of the morning. It says, for only we who believe can enter his rest. Only we who believe can enter his rest. That's good news. That means it's not reliant on me and what I can perform and what I can do. It's relying on him and it's me throwing myself upon the Lord and his goodness and his revealed love through the person of Jesus. Throwing myself before him and receiving all that he has for me through the conduit of faith. Only we who believe can enter his rest. Here's the warning then. As for others, as for the others, God said, in my anger I took an oath, they will never enter my place of rest, even though this rest has been ready since he made the world. This has been God's plan since the very beginning. That's why I'm talking about a rest that goes beyond a day of the week. This is a rest that's built into the very fabric of creation so much that God himself would cease after creating the universe and the cosmos and just delight. It's pointing us to where he's taking us which is this future rest of being with us. Obviously that was spoiled, that existed in the garden and it was spoiled by our own pride and rebellion against the Lord. 
I addressed this last time I shared from Hebrews 3, you know, when the Lord talks about his anger, his anger is always an expression of his holiness. So it's not some unhinged, unpredictable anger maybe you experienced in your household or from some so-called friend or, some, or any person on this earth. The anger of the Lord is always a response to our willful disobedience to, against his, that's offending his holiness. The Lord can't be anything other than what he is, and he is holy. And his love is a holy love. So those who believe can enter his rest. Verse four, we know it is ready because of the place in scriptures where it mentions the seventh day. So you're gonna see this pattern that I, that I already laid out from Genesis to, um, he doesn't reference Noah, but from Noah to Moses to Joshua to Jesus. So he's talking about the creation story. On the seventh day, God rested from all of his work. But in the other passage, God said, they will never enter my place of rest. Speaking of what? what uh, was said in Psalms 95. So God's rest is there for the people to enter. But those who first heard this good, good news failed to enter because they disobeyed God. So God set another time for entering his rest. And that time is today. God announced this through David much later in the words already quoted. Today when you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. So he quotes Psalm 95 again. There's been a lot of debate on this passage, Hebrews chapter four, as to whether the writer of Hebrews is talking about a future rest in heaven. This future rest that we all look forward to, this day that we even talked about during worship, where we truly behold the Lord in his glory for eternity, and it never gets old. That's why we have, I believe, such a, a strong conviction to be a worshiping people because that will be our eternal calling in the Lord. And there will never be an ounce of boredom and never, never an ounce of distractedness because he will have our full attention for all eternity to come. That's where, he, that's where he's taking us. But some have thought maybe that's all he's talking about. So others should say, well, no, he's talking about believers experience in salvation. I have to say that this passage is talking about both. Because even as we look to the already given example of the promised land, looking as this image of where the Lord is taking us, the promised land was given to the people of Israel, the children of Israel, little by little. Exodus 24 tells us that. The promised land wasn't given to us in one fell swoop or given to the children of Israel in one fell swoop. It was given to them little by little. Joshua led them into the, into the promised land and part of the promised land was given to them. You don't want to know who our Joshua is. Jesus is our Joshua and he has led us into the promised land triumphantly, victoriously. And we live now with this, this revelation of this promised rest here and now through the ministry of the spirit of God with us presently right now, 2023. Here in the future, we are in the future, 2023, here we are. We've made it, and the Holy Spirit is living life with us, giving us this assurance of his peace and his rest day in, day out. But there's something in us that knows that there is more, and as we, as we read scripture of the promises of yet to come, of this age to come, the new heaven and the new earth, we know the promised land 
in its fullness is more. There's more than what we are experiencing in the here and now, but let us not just kind of hunker down in our bunkers and wait for some future day of glory. Let us live now, as Jesus said, as though the kingdom of God is near, because it is. The king has come near, and he's leading us in triumphant procession towards this promised land in its fullest sense. It has to be both. This last Christmas, uh, just last week, was our first Christmas without my father-in-law, who had passed July 2nd of 2022. And you know, that first holiday after a loved one has passed is extremely difficult. It's such a, a mix of emotions as we reminisce. And for us, my father-in-law, Cal, was the life of Christmas Day. We have spent the last um, 15 Christmases with, with my, or 14 Christmases with my, my father-in-law. He was always the life of that day from morning until, until night all day long. So it was, it was, it'll never be the same. That for us, Christmas will never be the same. But there is this reality that he is living in a greater experience of his promised rest right here, right now. He is there with the Lord experiencing his promised rest. And even not in its fullest sense because there's an age to come where all this will be wiped away. Even the current heaven, the current earth will be burned up and wiped away and the Lord will birth a new heaven and a new earth which is the fullest sense of this promised rest. But for us, even those that haven't yet gone on to be with the Lord, there is these glimpses of heaven the Lord gifts us with, this side of eternity. That's why the Lord has taught us to pray that his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. For us to live heavenly minded here and now, aware of his presence, aware of his present reality, at rest with him so I do believe it's now, and verse seven I just feel like is too, to the point in that regard. It says, God has set, a, God set another time for entering his rest, and that time is today. It's today. We're responsible for responding to the Lord today. In faith, believing him, taking at his word today, not putting off to, for tomorrow what you can do today. When the Lord speaks that we respond as we just look at the warnings in the Old Testament, there is this self-infatuation and pride that comes in when push comes to shove, when life gets difficult, when the people of Israel got hungry, when they got thirsty. And what did they, what did they do? They began to distrust the Lord. They began to harden their hearts to the Lord. Who is this one? Begin to question the character of the Lord. Who's this one who led us into the wilderness? Who's this one who now led us into this land just to be defeated by these, these stronger foes? We begin to question the Lord. We've all been there. And so we're responsible to respond to the word of God today. As Jesus speaks, we respond. This becomes the call now upon our life and the invitation to live in his rest every day. Verse eight, it says, now if Joshua had succeeded in giving them this rest, God would not have spoken about another day of rest still to come. Joshua, Jesus is our Joshua. Joshua didn't fulfill the fullness of what the Lord was, set out, uh, was setting out to accomplish. It wasn't just about a geography in a, in a land. No, the Lord was pointing his people towards the larger narrative that there would be a day when he would send another Joshua. He would send his great servant, 
the servant of God, the son of God, the son of man. And he would lead his people into this rest. Verse nine says, so there is a special rest or as ESV says, a Sabbath rest still waiting for the people of God. For all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors just as God did after creating the world. So here in verses nine and 10, he's speaking about the kingdom here and now, but yet the kingdom not yet. There is a greater sense of Sabbath rest yet to be experienced. But for those who have entered his rest here and now, there is a resting from our labors. No longer do we wear the yoke of religious obligation and religious duty to appease some far off God, to convince him of how righteous we are. But rather, we are called to place our faith and our trust completely in his sufficiency, in his work, in his labor. He's the one, and he's the one who came and took that tree upon his back, did the work that should have been our work, even though it would have never done anything to satisfy our standing before the Lord. So we are freed from that labor, that religious toil. We're we're freed from it. Verse 11 says, so let us do our best to enter that rest. But if we disobey God as the people of Israel did, we will fall. So again, there's the promise and there's the warning. Here's the encouragement and here's the, the, sober, the sober exhortation or so, sober warning. The New Living Translation says, let us do our best in our modern American English. I don't know that that captures it very well. Let us do our best. It's kind of like we're just giving it our best shot, you know, like, oh, give it our best. We did our best. The ESV says, let us strive. I believe... The translators avoid using the word strive because striving seems to be opposed to resting. In the Greek, what's really meant to be captured there in the Greek is this quick, zealous responding, being eager quickly to respond to the Lord. That's really what's captured. There's quickness, is not hesitating. Be eager to enter into that rest right here, right now. Don't wait. Be quick. There's so much disobedience there lingering in the delay. I'll just be honest. When we delay, at the core of it is disobedience. And the disobedience just grows and, and brews and, and increases. So let us quickly, intentionally, enter into that rest right here, right now, living there, living there in the peace of God that if we do it disobey as the people of God, that we will fall. Verse 12, for the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, and he is the one to whom we are accountable. The Lord is after our hearts being at rest, and nothing less. 
So when, when we talk about living in the rest of the Lord, it's not about putting on just a, a Christian smile and faking it until you make it. He is after your heart, the innermost places of your heart. And it's the revelation of God made alive by the spirit of God who's revealing Jesus that cuts into our hearts like a two-edged sword, cutting off that unbelief and doubt, these things that are in opposition to the rest of God, the promise of God, the, the gift of God, so that in the innermost reaches of our heart, our most innermost thoughts and desires, they burn for him and him alone. And we fully place our trust in him and him alone. Verse 13, I believe, should bring all of us to our knees. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed. So like all the games that we play, the charades, the, the masks, they mean nothing before the Lord. Everything is laid bare before the Lord. We are fully exposed to, before him. So we might as well trust him with our heart. We might as well place our heart before him. Lord, he sees it all. Lord, you see every uh, inner recess, nook and cranny of my heart, have it all. I trust you, Lord. I trust you in your goodness and in your nature revealed. I trust you, Lord. In the NLT, it says naked and exposed. That, that second word is a word that exposed is, is a word that translators have a hard time translating as to what is really trying to be captured there. But that can be a word that's used for when they're skinning an animal, skinning the, the, um, the fur off of an animal, just being made, laid bare. All the pretensions and anything that we're trying to cover ourselves with is laid bare before the Lord. That is where we live, but oftentimes we live oblivious to it or try to avoid that reality. But it's the word of God, the revealed word of God, the revealed, the revelation of what Jesus is like made alive by the spirit of God that cuts deep into all of that and we're laid bare before the Lord and he sees us as we truly are. So the question then becomes, how do we enter this rest? How do we, how do we respond quickly? If that's the exhortation, in verse 11, if the exhortation is for us to quickly enter that rest here and now, to do our best, to strive to enter that rest. How do we do that? We do that through trust and obedience. And the, the opposition to that, as I said earlier, is distrust and disobedience. I'm just stating the obvious, but sometimes that's how we need it. We just need it plain and simple. We just need to call it out in our lives. The thing opposing living in his rest is this lingering distrust in our hearts. The people of Israel, they hardened their hearts. They actively participated in the hardening of their hearts. They gave space to this harboring unbelief and harboring bitterness towards the Lord because of trials and tribulations and the difficulties of the calling that the Lord had upon their life, which we all have. They begin to harden their hearts. 
They began to rebel. They began to puff themselves up that they could figure it out on their own, that they could, they could do this on their own. It ultimately led, ultimately led to their rebellion and they were disobedient. So the key is trusting quickly and being obedient quickly. Trust that Jesus is enough, that he means what he says. It's a, it's a good um, rule for life that when Jesus speaks to our hearts that we respond quickly. If Jesus has revealed something to your heart, don't be looking for a confirmation. Don't wait until you hear it from somebody else, respond quickly. Because there is this gift, this promise the Lord gives us that to whom much is given, even more will be given. So don't wait for more. There's actually, the more is waiting for us in our obedience. When we're obedient with what he's given us, he'll give us the more. Don't wait for another sign. Don't wait for another miracle. Don't wait for another supernatural moment. Believe on him now. Trust on him now. Charles Spurgeon said this, you know, why is it that we sometimes find that faith is difficult? Like what we just read, I mean, it seems so simple. Why is it that we find that faith is so difficult? He goes on to say, it's because we're too proud to believe in Jesus. If we did but see ourselves as we really are, we would be willing enough to trust the Savior. But we do not like going to heaven like blind people who need a guide or like debtors who cannot pay even a pound. We want to have a finger in the pie. We want to do something towards our own salvation. We want to have some of the praise and glory of it. God, save us from this evil spirit. And this evil spirit is the age-old spirit that's been alive in humanity from the, the very beginning of self-will and and pride. I pray that that dies today on the altar before the cross for all of us. Obedience to God. Trust in him alone. Not obedience to any man or person in your life. Not obedience to religion, but God, who we live, who we, we live before at all times. We already live before him and Everything is exposed to him. So we live in obedience to him in the here and now presently. I'm gonna invite Scott to come forward to the keys. Jesus is our Joshua that leads us victoriously into our rest and our faith is in him, our leader. The question is, will we, lead, or will we listen to his instruction? There's a difference between hearing and listening. Hearing is hearing the decibels, the, the sound waves. Listening is acknowledging it and responding in obedience. Let us be obedient to our great leader, our Joshua, who is our Jesus, who's leading us into this promised land. He already has through his cross and through his resurrection, through the sending of his spirit. May we trust his instruction. That's my prayer this week as I was driving home back to Iowa from our homeland of North Dakota, I called an old friend, and this is a friend who's just been a faithful friend over the years to me. We went to college, we went to engineering school together at North Dakota State, and um, that's why I was just reminded of this story. He had such a testimony of trusting the Lord, 
regardless of whether things are good or bad or things are going as we planned, being at peace with the Lord. He walked with this peace in the Lord and he still does to this day. But our senior year of college, senior year, your senior year of high school or college is the time where you're, you're thinking about the future. There's so much weightiness and worry about what is to come. And so there's a lot of angst on the college campus come uh, your senior year. And I remember the moment and the, the place where we were, we were as, as we were walking north on our campus in North Dakota State University. We were walking through the engineering corridors and, and right then and there, Aaron, my friend Aaron got a phone call. It's from a family member that his mom had had a brain aneurysm that she's being rushed to the hospital. And we were at that moment, we were walking north to go up to the dome where there was this huge career fair. So this was the moment where me and him were putting out our, our um, fleeces and trying to figure out where we would land a job, you know. That's where our mind is on making a way for ourselves. He had to put all that on, on hold because he you know, stood up all of his interviews and he had to go and be at the hospital and to be with his mom, to be with his family. But even then and there, as he received the phone call, and everything came to a screeching halt in terms of his career pursuits, he just had this peace that radiated over his face. He's like, Drew, it's gonna be all right. And I was asking, I was more stressed out for him than he was for himself. And I said, is there anything I can do? He's like, it's gonna be all right, Drew. It's gonna be all right. That stuff will take care of itself. And he rushed off. And the next number of weeks were, it was the grace of God that he was able to finish his coursework and professors were very gracious to him. But he saw himself through that season by the grace of God. He began to rally some of us Chi Alpha students, the college students to come to the hospital to pray for his mom. The, the diagnosis was bleak. They didn't know if she would survive. Once she came out, out of coma and was coming to, they didn't know if she'd ever walk again. She ended up experiencing a miraculous healing and his mom, Dottie, to this day is a walking miracle, walking around beaming with the testimony of God. I remember hosting her out in Seattle uh, a number of, a couple years after that. And everywhere we went around that city, she was testifying about the power of God in her life. She's like, you know, I experienced a miracle in my life. She would tell everybody we'd go, every restaurant and every place. She would testify about the power of God in her life. But you know what? When it came to my friend Aaron, he didn't, he didn't, he wasn't able to go through the typical paths of career fairs and everything being calculated to the T and everything just lining up perfectly. Instead, he had to trust the Lord. He had to be at rest in that moment, trusting the Lord's goodness, his provision. And you know what? He ended up landing the same job that I did. <laughs> That's the end of the story. He ended up landing the same job as I did. He was out situated with me and my wife in Seattle, the same uh, employer. In fact, he's still working there to this day, you know, almost 20 years later. So all that toil, that stress, that strain that I even had for him, it was pointless. It was, it was worthless. He then did the, the, did the right things afterwards to be responsible with what had been given to him. And, but the Lord opened the doors and the Lord provided because the Lord is our everything and he is all that we need. There's no point to toil over what is to come. There's no point to toil over what has happened. We live at peace with the Lord now. If you'd all bow your heads and close your eyes.
Actually, if you'd all stand, I want us to respond to the Lord. Close your eyes. The key here is responding quickly today to the Lord. Don't let another moment pass by where you put off for tomorrow what you need to do today. Would you allow his word to cut through you today like a two-edged sword? So that each of us would fully trust the Lord in our heart of hearts and the deepest recesses of our heart. Hear these words in red, these words of Jesus himself. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. And I tell you, stop doubting those words. Stop questioning those words. Stop saying how exceptionally unique your situation is. The Lord is giving you an invitation to cast off your anxieties and your heavy burdens and to live in the rest of the Lord. He says, take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and I will find, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. Later he says that I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Would you actually believe that this morning in your heart of hearts? There is no other way. There is no other truth other than this truth, the capital T truth, Jesus as the way. Would you believe on him this morning? This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.